Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Mark Cribb, entrepreneur and founder of the hospitality group Urban Guild. Mark has previously been a guest on the podcast and two years since he was last on the podcast, I wanted to welcome him back and talk to him about the impact the pandemic has had on the hospitality sector. As ever, Mark is passionate about his views, but I also wanted to understand from him how it has changed his outlook on business and his philosophy on life. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Mark, again to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be back. You were the very first guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I'd forgotten about that. Blimey. Hey, how long ago was that? That was two and a half years ago, nearly. So what number are we now-ish? We're about (laughs) 115-ish. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, so 115 episodes in. You did come back as a guest in April 2020, and we'll touch you on that again in a moment, I'm sure. But, you know, for our listeners that haven't listened to those two previous episodes, why not? I suppose I want to know. Like like that's possible, Warren. Yeah, of course (laughs) they've listened to them. And if you haven't, go and listen to them. But... Actually, just to open the podcast and, you know, for those that haven't listened and want a little bit of background, please just tell us a short bit about yourself and the Urban Guild. Short bit. You know, you know my answers too well, don't you? <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, to, to cut a, a long story reasonably short, travelled for a couple of years, fell in love with, with humans and, uh, and travel and the world. I went around Australia and New Zealand and all sorts of places, came back to the UK, lived in London for a decade, practising on other people's businesses and then wanted to get into um, hospitality and, and, and people, which is what I really, really love. So uh, bought a very rundown old B&B in Boscombe, turned it into the Urban Beach and, and a couple of years after that opened a restaurant on the beach, Urban Reef. Uh, and then I can't forget... I forget the order now particularly if we've closed some but we ended up with urban renaissance a cafe in the russell coates museum and jenkins and sons in Penn hill um a wood oven a, a wood-fired takeaway place on the beach and urban garden and i don't own all of those anymore because the journey's taught me you know some things work and some things don't and it's you've, sometimes you've got to you know close things as much as open things but here we are 16 17 years into the wow. world of hospitality we employ 130 odd people in the summer we turn over about five million quid a year but we've kept it really you know quite local i i, I don't have shareholders and I've not gone global Warren so still just little old me selling sandwiches on the beach in Boscombe fundamentally (laughs) sandwiches on the beach in Boscombe very very good um so we did speak though in April 2020 um off the back of a series of episodes we did about touching on different sectors and clearly the hospitality sector April 2020 where pandemic had hit 
were in that first lockdown, you had recorded a very emotional piece walking along the beach, um, which, you know, touched the hearts and minds of lots of people. And we spoke about that and the impact it was having on the hospitality sector. I suppose I've got to ask the question from here, Mark, you know, what's that journey? This is a big question, but what's that journey been like since? Yeah, at least you didn't ask for that one to be short. No. Um, you know what? It's a bit of a blur remembering back to the specific dates of that, because that, that would have been, you know, literally in, in the heart of the, uh, the chaos, wouldn't it, of the first lockdown. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was a that was a really challenging time. So um, you know, those six months probably after we first got locked down um, was was just you know chaos. And I, and I think it was it was this sort of juxtaposition of the the emotional responsibility of all the people you employ. The, the video that you mentioned that I did was just because I felt a responsibility for these mm. hundred old people that I mentioned. And and you know, I know they're you know lots of them have got partners or wives or or, or kids and families. And you you just feel you know so much so much you know love for them because they've helped you build this business over the. 10, 12 years beforehand and you really want to look after them and, and we felt very helpless because you, you can't have a, a business plan in place for the kind yeah. of change that we went through so that was really difficult but actually you know what as, a, as an entrepreneur um, and I, I, I didn't used to use that word for myself but I think it's probably okay now 17 years in I'm not just a sandwich maker I guess um, but you know I like throwing all the balls in the air and, and actually you know the, dealing with the chaos mm. and the carnage and actually you know that's when I have to step up to the plate because you know, I don't get as involved now in day-to-day -day service and, you know, I don't get the buzz and the rush of jumping on the coffee machine when, you know, when the bar's getting slammed or jumping on the pass in the kitchen because I'm too old and uncool now to go on those places and the staff kick me out. But actually there was nobody that could step up and, and liaise with the banks and the solicitors and, and you know, the senior team and, and actually lead the business and deal with all of that stuff. So I have to say with the, with the ability to now look back, I think it, you know, it, it did energise me and, and give me a real, um, you know, sense of day-to-day -day achievement at the mm -hmm. time. I haven't finished processing, you know, the longer-term impact of that, as in, you know, did, did that suck so much energy and time out of me? You know, do you almost need a, a, a recovery period mm -hmm. from that? And have I, have I taken that yet? I'm not sure. It feels like, you know, we just lurched from crisis to crisis to crisis with, with you know, particularly in hospitality. I mean, even even if you just go back to this Christmas and Omicron and the yeah. timing of Omicron coming, you know, right in the heart of our of our busy period. And whereas before we would, this is a really long answer, isn't it? But whereas before we would plan, you know, our Christmas menus and our New Year's menus and, and we would constantly be planning sort of four months ahead. If I don't have Christmas ready by the end of August, you know, I fail. But we couldn't really do that through COVID times. So you were, uh, yeah, we, you know, maybe it taught me that I don't need to to look as far ahead and to plan as far ahead. But um, it's been it's been exhausting. It's been exhilarating, and I actually think the business is probably in a better place off the back of the learnings that I'm sure we'll go into a little bit um, now than it than it was yeah. beforehand. There's a few interesting. It's a great answer and a great response. And but there is a few things that come out of that. And one of the common themes that I'm hearing and I felt myself was actually you're right. You know, maybe we're not involved as business owners and leaders as much day to day as we were day one when it was just us and when you had a very small team and you grow the business but there was this sense of being needed again wasn't there and actually in a strange kind of way then how did you, you then we all play to our strengths which probably some of us had got a little and I'm talking about myself here not you yeah, yeah. we got a little bit complacent yeah. stu stood back a little bit um, but that sense of being needed and our skill sets being coming to the fore was really important, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And, it, and it's a reminder, I suppose, of why, you know, ultimately the business has been, you know, successful because, you know, most businesses, let alone hospitality businesses, do fail in those first couple of years. And actually, 
you know one of the reasons for that failure is often financial and and we were in a tough spot when when um covid first hit we just opened urban garden mm. so we we plowed a huge amount of money and our you know like an entrepreneurial we sailed pretty close to the wind with our level yeah. of investments and and so i pushed it really far but 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 it did remind me of you know almost why we have done well is because i'm actually pretty good you know i love hospitality and i love customer service and i love food and drink and all the stuff that goes with it but i actually do just love business and i do like numbers and actually i like the network and the the ability to sit with the bank around the table and get them to not just look at the financial picture because the financial picture was you know you're an idiot you've you've over invested you've overextended by opening another restaurant you've now been hit by covid you're going to run out of cash really quickly you know it would have been very easy for them to pull the plug but actually, because of the, you know the history of the business and because of our passion and, and, and because we could articulate and demonstrate you know levels of, of competence as well as you know yeah. maybe some and, and even you know I'm doing a dis- disservice to the silly decision because you know Urban Garden is a great restaurant and it was the right thing to do um, and you can't always do everything with a, with a safety net. But yeah, it was it was good to go. Okay, yeah, you, you say you have still got both the gift of the gab, but actually the, the competence, competency to demonstrate, you know, the, the medium to longer term success of the business. And, and you know, hats off to, to you know, NatWest and the, and the legal team. And I suppose, you know, to be fair, obviously, you know, furlough and Rishi and, and VAT, all, you know, all of these things did come together, together, and they did give us the opportunity to continue to trade. So, you know, it really was a teamwork situation with the government, with the bank, with, with me and my team. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have delegated you know joining all of those dots that 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 had to be me that did it i enjoyed it and it reminded me that yeah you know you have got a you have got a skill even if you're too old to go behind the bar <laughs> <laughs> um and also that but that leads to this other thing isn't it is you as the entrepreneur you were making change happen you were seeing what was needed you were playing to your strengths but managing change in itself <laughs> has its challenges particularly when you're entrepreneurial um and you, you know, you're driving that change. Yeah. How did you manage that impact of all of that change that was happening yeah. around you and your team <laughs> and the people within the business? I'm laughing because I think I've, I've always driven a lot of change at pace over all the years that we've yeah. been open. And maybe it demonstrated to me, and I'm only just really thinking about this, which is why I'm chuckling. You know, maybe it showed me how my team feel sometimes when all of a sudden all of this change was thrust yeah. on me rather than me thrusting it on them. And actually it was it was pretty exhausting. So maybe it taught me that you know you don't you don't have to run as fast as we were running. Maybe we don't need to change as much as we were mm. changing. Actually, you know, getting back to the simplicity of our business. You know, we we did a lot of things in the various sort of stages of covid from setting up you know home delivery business to setting up valentine's boxes we were delivering to cocktail kits to um you know a, a, a takeaway system where you could rock up and have the food you know sort of you know put in your boot we we probably went through not just the change that was happening at a managerial and structural level but we just tried loads and loads of different things to stay afloat and actually probably did 10 years worth of initiatives in 18 months and maybe what i learned from that was that um you know, just focus on what you're good at, and actually adding all these layers of complexity yeah. to the business was was you know a huge distraction um, for the team. And uh, yeah, so we, we you know I suppose off the back of off the back of that, we've probably changed our current approach to <laughs> to really just getting back to um, yeah to the basics of our business. So so reducing all those layers of complexity. I mean, I, I had and and some of it was just was enforced change, and and I miss aspects of it. But if you think of our you know bakers, we had our in-house bakery team, uh, Kay the Cake and Naomi. You know, a couple of lovely humans had worked for me with me for you know probably ten years, making all this lovely you know produce. But 
they were great in many aspects, but we would always have to carry their cost through the winter. So we were we were a business that had the desires, I suppose, to, to do everything in-house and for long-term employment and, and probably a growth strategy for years. But actually, when you work out, when you look at what's actually making money and what's costing money, you know, some of these things didn't make sense financially. And on a human level, they made a lot of sense. But you know, when 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 your back's against the wall, you do unfortunately. You know, there's the, the, the yeah. definition of a successful business is it has to still be in business, isn't it? It can't just be yeah. nice and employ people. So, um, so yeah, so the changes off the back of it, we're probably getting rid of you know, and and poor old, you know Matt, our, our marketing team and the interns again, you know, great humans, loved working with them, loved some of the things that we worked on. You know, the loyalty system we built, all of this stuff. But there's a load of there's a load of tech and process around a noise. Mm. There's just a lot of noise around all of this stuff and a lot of energy and a lot of decision making. And actually. You know, at the back off the end of it, we could a we couldn't afford to keep a lot of these systems and processes in place. But b we had to get back to what is profitable. And you know what? It's 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 much more profitable to bring a thousand people to my restaurant over the course of a day and feed them than it is to deliver 150 boxes to people's houses dotted around Dorset. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not rocket science, but it's not until you actually do that because you see all these things on TV. You know, whether it's Hello Fresh or you know Deliveroo and all of these all these different businesses, and you think, God, I'm you know I'm an idiot. I should be on the back of all of these. But then you you trial them and you do them. And you go, you know what? We're really good at running a restaurant on the beach where yeah. customers come in and it's a beautiful sunny day and they get an icy cold beer, looking at the ocean and some great service and a nice DJ playing some tunes and a bit of banter with the team. That's what we're good at. So the change has really been, you know, almost less back change. Back to basics, really. Back, yeah, stop changing. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's stop the changing. change. Yeah. Stop changing. But that kind of back to basics philosophy. And I suppose your industry has changed there, hasn't it? In that 16 years that you've been trading, I remember some of those early conversations we had were around you wanted to either find the best kind of you know cakes you wanted to find the best bread you wanted to find the best beer you wanted to find the experience of everything was about craft yeah and you know you're one of the first people i ever heard speak about that and therefore that what didn't but that industry didn't exist did it in the same way it does now so you had yeah. to do it all in-house you did whereas now those craft suppliers, those niche yeah. suppliers are there, aren't they, for you to tap into? So your philosophy yeah. hasn't changed, I assume, but you're just tapping into suppliers rather than having it in-house? Yeah. No, you're right, um, in, so to some regard. And in some regard, my philosophy changed and realised that to run a business, it has to be profitable. I and mean, if you just look at the learning from Jenkins & Sons, where yeah. you know I refused to sell any craft beer for the first two years that we ran that venue. Uh, sorry, not craft beer. I refused to sell any multinational beers. I only wanted to sell British, interesting, quirky, artisan beers because there's so many of them and they're so lovely. But also... You know, it, it was great philosophically, um, but you know, as soon as we made the compromise and said, right, we'll put in one multinational beer, and it was Estrella, and it didn't just outsell, outsell the next best beer; it outsold all of the rest of the beers put together. So I didn't hang myself, Warren. I just decided that <laughs> okay, fine. You know, you, you do have to sell what the customer wants, and it's a bit like the plant-based movement a little bit at the moment. Is you can have exponential growth of a very tiny percentage, and it's all the noise and it's what everybody's yeah. talking about. But the reality is, you know, it's still small, and, and maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that because it's something that I'm trying to grow but you, you realise that yeah you're growing it from a very small start and that was the same from beer but you are, you are absolutely right now it is easier to work with smaller more independent suppliers and just to walk that line and get the balance right and go because you know we do have a moral obligation to pass on good value to our customers as well yeah. so it's no good only selling you know the quirky niche if it, if it makes it prohibitively expensive so we'll try and have you know we're, we're, we're never likely to sell you really you know your bulk standard um you know cheap gin as your as your house kind of poor we're always going to go in at the more premium end of the market but at the end that finds that balance that's right between quality 
and price so not super premium but so yeah the, the philosophy has not changed it's become a little bit easier um, but I've also think we've we have got better at maybe you know recognizing that the public yeah. do want some of those brands gonna have to ask you this mark now and, and that kind of back to basics philosophy and, and that response there you know now when you look back on your 16 years do you regret to nobody really should have regret but in hindsight would you have done the whole journey differently i'd have learned faster Warren, I, think. <laughs> I don't think i'd have changed what we did um I, I would now but then that's just learning isn't it so yes would i open a craft beer bar now that didn't sell you know a, a, yeah. a couple of premium no i wouldn't but that's the learning do i wish i'd done it in six months not two years yes but did i need to do it for two years to really you know i didn't just do it and then wait you know we promoted we gave out tastings we we organized nights where you know the brewers would come in and do talks and and i still believe that do it in the right town i still think do it in bath or bristol mm. or london it's not me warren it's the you know it's the others <laughs> like, I, my ideas are all genius but unfortunately the customers aren't ready <laughs> for them know. but bournemouth and paul it's a, it's an interesting you know it's a it can be a frustrating place to work. Same when we didn't do, you know, no reservations when we first opened uh, Jenkins, as in, you know, you just rock up if you want a table because the, the venue was geared up so you could have some drinks on the bar side mm. and then go through to the dining side. And I know from a customer experience and from a flow and from an energy and a vibe in the room, it's absolutely the best decision for the restaurant and for the customer. But the customers don't get it. They come in and they go, can we book a table for seven on Friday? And you go, no, just turn up. It'll be fine. But they don't believe you. And it, and it, it, you know, it works in London and it works in other towns, but you can't make it work locally. And I get it. It's because here we only get go out maybe once or twice a week whereas yeah. in London you go out five nights a week so it doesn't matter so. and there's not the choice is there I suppose like, yeah so it's if true. you're in London or yeah. you're in Manchester or you're in Bristol yeah. then you can well that that restaurant hasn't got space this evening I've done yeah. a walk, tried to do a walk-in hasn't worked I'll go to A, B, C or D yeah. whereas you're just running A yeah totally yeah and, and you wanted people to understand that even if you have to wait half an hour and get and wait and have a couple of cocktails in the bar whilst yeah. you're waiting or maybe 45 minutes that's alright you know that's not going to ruin your evening in fact it will enhance it because you'll pick up on the energy and the place will be full because if you walk into a restaurant that takes reservations and you walk in at 6.45 because that's your table booking it's probably going to be empty even though they say they're fully booked because they're going to stagger everybody's journey everybody's rival sort of you know 15 minute yeah. slots so you end up dining in an empty restaurant getting annoyed about the fact there's no atmosphere and there's no vibe but it's because you wanted to book a table so um yeah okay. dictatorship no we can't make jokes about that sort of thing at the moment can we <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> definitely not unfortunately not um so what i'm also interested about is that you've gone through in the last two years as an industry but let's talk specifically about your venues and particularly urban reef on the beach from lockdown no business at all to staycations <laughs> absolutely getting hammered demand out stripping supply yeah. How was that to manage? You know, and what lessons did you learn yeah, as so, a result? Yeah. So, so pre-COVID, it would have been a twenty out of ten stress level, and post-COVID, it's about a three. You know, because. <laughs> really frustrating and we didn't touch on it but I suppose that's the other change we've made isn't just the structural change staffing wise but actually things like opening hours so you know to see all of that demand all you really want to do is capitalize on that demand which we would always have done you know is let's go bigger let's go faster let's you know more supply you know and we would have pushed everybody and maybe you know a couple of things happened one is the team realized and, and myself I suppose you know that you do want some sort of work-life balance you just mm -hmm. can't get pushed uh, you know you can't keep your, your foot to the full on on the throttle all of the time you do need to release occasionally partly just because there are so many less staff you know there's a genuine staffing crisis in our sector because presumably so many people left the sector to go and get you know jobs that are, are, are more secure 
than hospitality. So, um, so yeah, so we, we had to change our hours. So, you know, e- even last summer, you know, we were, we were shut on a Monday and Tuesday night down on the seafront, you know, even in July and August. Mm. And I'd be down there sometimes and I'd hear customers who didn't know who I was talking, <laughs> going, yeah, it's ridiculous, you know, license to put money. How can hospitality be moaning and, you know, they can't be bothered to open and stuff like that. Yeah. And you'd be like, you want to grab them and take them behind the scenes and show them your team who are still doing, you know, 70-hour weeks to try and get through yeah. that demand of the staycation and, and what's going on. And, and I was going, you know, I went up to Scotland for, for a week and, and saw that it was, you know, it was a national picture. Everybody was suffering the same. And you'd speak to the team and heartbreaking for them because hospitality is a reflex. All they want to do is look after people and show them a good time. But they cannot work from eight in the morning till midnight, seven yeah. days a week, just because the demand is there. And, uh, you know, I remember speaking to our local MP and say, look, we're, we're going to miss an opportunity here because you've got you've got all of this demand. We can really st- show the UK off as a staycation market. People who normally go over to, you know, Benidorm or Mallorca or wherever they're going, let's show them how amazing staycation can be. You know, up in Scotland, I was canyoning, I was whitewater rafting, you know, I was hiring mountain bikes, you know, I was doing all these amazing things that I don't think people realise are here. But I was like, the hospitality cannot cope. We need some sort of, you know, short-term visa kind of scenario. Mm. It's, it's no good, you know, with what, what's happened with, um, with with Brexit and government training and, and minimum wage for the government government to just say you know just just train people because we can get inexperienced front house people you know we can get British they're not they don't have hospitality in their DNA in the same way the Europeans do you know I was interviewing one of my guys a couple of days ago saying what made you want to get into hospitality and he's Italian and he's like my grandfather worked in hospitality all of his life and I remember the stories that he would tell me about you know the people he met and the journeys and the adventures and the stories and I always knew that I was going to work in hospitality and this guy's 32 years old he's professional really good we don't get that over here you get uh, my dad said that you know I couldn't stay at home and watch telly or play on the Xbox and I had to go out and get a job and suggest that I walked in a pub for three months, you know, in the summer holidays. So that's really frustrating. So, um, you know, the, the point was, but chefs even more so, you know, even though you can train front of house staff quite quickly, chefs take three or four years to get trained. You know, mm. we now have a crisis in our industry that we cannot solve because it's going to take three or four years. So the point being that we've just had to, you know, reduce our hours and, and COVID taught us it was okay to close sometimes yeah. and you just have to say to the customers I'm really sorry I, I have to shut on a Monday and Tuesday to allow my guys a couple of days off so that they can come back and they can still do a massive push yeah. and a massive week um, the rest of the week so the answer is we, you know we, we capitalized on it as much as we possibly could you know it was really busy it was great along with things like the VAT cut but we couldn't yeah we couldn't you know um, take advantage of it as much as we would want to and, and it's early days because we're now you know buried in the recruitment for this year but it's not really looking any is better any, I was going to say is it any better this year do you think it's not it's not look it's early days we've got you know so I'm not I'm not 100% sure as it stands at the moment we, you know we definitely can't open seven days a week again as it stands at the moment we, we're hoping that by you know May we will be able to as we recruit and mm. as we train but it may be that we still have to shut a couple of days a week or a couple of nights a week which is a shame when you've got such a short yeah. summer season what I can't do though is break the team uh, and, and know before maybe if I broke the team you know I could replace others uh, with others but I can't do that and uh, and actually you know that's not right we just no, we just need to recognise way to run a business is not, it? we just need to recognise that hospitality cannot operate from, from 8 in the morning till midnight 7 days a week Particularly in a town like Bournemouth, where it's so seasonal, because you go back, you, what you end up doing is you have your core team you keep for the winter, then you you know you absolutely smash them over the summer, and they're all absolutely knackered. Um, you can't do that. And what's that scaled up, scaled down in numbers look like? You know, your core team through the winter compared to so the number in the summer, fifty, probably between seventy in the winter and one hundred and thirty in the summer. Right. So, so you sort of double. 
Yeah, nearly. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of people to recruit and to train, and and hard, you know. And, and we're we're getting it now. You know, I need a I need a pizza. I've got an amazing pizza chef at the at the wood oven in Bournemouth, and I'm like, look, we need we need another couple of you for the summer. And he said, I know loads of people. He said, but I don't know anyone who wants a job for six months. They want a job for twelve months. Perfectly reasonable, understandable. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, but I can't pay you for twelve months because you know we're massive outside terrace. That's when the customers are here and the demand. It's um yeah, it's challenging. Mm. But there's. Yeah, so it's a really difficult business to manage, isn't it? And as you say, that staffing piece around, is it Brexit? Is it the pandemic? What's caused it? But it's a real need. And it's not just in the hospitality sector, is it? It's in manufacturing, construction, yeah. in travel. It's in all sorts of sectors, isn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about um, you know the future of the country and, and, and where we actually get people from. But I, I'm slight, slightly concerned or pessimistic as to, you know, do the government understand it and do they, do they know the speed of change? You know, I'm, I'm aware of some initiatives going on around trying to attract staff from, you know, maybe the Commonwealth countries or, or you know, the um, Antipodeans or Indian. And, and, and to go back to what we used to do, which was, you know, if I go back 16, 17 years, we used to get Aussies and Kiwis behind the bar and, and people from, you know, Canada or, 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 you know, it was a global. And then it became very Eastern European centric. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't really mind. Ideally, I'd go global. I'm like, yeah, come from Eastern Europe if you want to come. But also, you know, come from, you know, other countries. And, and actually, it's a great experience to come to the UK. And I don't know the technicalities of how the visas and the work visas worked. But, you know, now there is a lot of promotion going back on a global level and saying, hey, look, we're back open. You know, actually do come over and work for a year or a couple of years. You know, there are visas available. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, what the reality is as to whether, you know, how many people want to, uh, to do that and what the economic situation is in their country. Covid just really muddied the waters. So whereas I could see the pros and cons of, of, of yeah. Brexit, you know, it became con only once Covid hit because everybody that was in hospitality went and got a job as a delivery driver or you know or some somewhere else in a different sector. Yeah, just because else. it was more yeah. stable. The one thing that is really interesting actually that we have done and could be a big change is the service charge. So um, whereas we've we've always avoided putting the service charge on the bill, and it's never going to be compulsory, but just having it integrated in the bill, discretionary service charge, 12.5%, yeah. automatically added to your bill. And part of the motivation for doing that is because now people don't pay by cash anymore, and it used yeah. to be easier to leave a cash tip. Now they pay by card, but they don't even really look. They actually pay by their phone, and they just you know tap and go, and they don't really realise whether the service charge is is there or not but it's not about hiding that it's just kind of going you haven't actually left a tip and and the team used to rely on that we've done some analysis and 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 it's you know it's been the case in in the cities for years mm. probably that they've been doing it but you know we've looked around the market we've spoken to our peers and you'll start to see everybody starting to do it this year because that 12 and a half percent going back into hospitality looks like it's going to be sort of between four pounds and five pound fifty an hour per person who's working yeah. which is a significant pay rise particularly if they're seasonal workers and they they're happy to do 60, yeah. 70 hours in the summer because they want to earn enough to get through the winter. And I think that might lure people back in because actually delivery drivers is really hard work. You know, people who've done it, it's really challenging. Supermarkets don't have that element of opportunity. So what we want to do is show, look, hospitality, get back into hospitality. Not only is it fun, not only do you meet a lot of interesting people, not only is it buzz and energetic and vibrant, um, but actually now it's well paid because now if you add that extra five or an hour that can make a huge difference to people we've only just launched that we've been trialing it at garden for about the last three weeks it's made a huge difference the team are really pumped they're liking it they're motivated Brilliant. we're just about to put it in at the other venues that could be the lifesaver the challenge with that i don't it shouldn't be an issue because people most people were probably paying a service charge anyway the danger of having it on the bill is it looks like a 12 and a half percent increase in cost at the same time that inflation's going back up to 20 percent 
at the same time you've got inflationary pressures and the nervousness of me is it's almost like yeah you know it, it, it's piling up increase to the customers and i just hope they understand that you know every single penny of that 12 and a half percent goes to the team and without that it means you cannot go out and meet your mates and go for a beer and go for nice food because there won't be people working in hospitality so people need to understand yeah we've just got to suck it up because it's still one of the greatest gifts of life i think is that opportunity to sit with friends and break bread and drink wine and have fun so i hope people remember that and it, it no longer can it be a cheap night out I haven't said that it can be if you go to Weatherspoons oh god I've plugged I've plugged them I know we're going to come on to that <laughs> we will we will we'll definitely come on to that yeah um, but then that brings also closer to the US model and the European model where hospitality is seen as a you know it's seen as a career isn't it and not and a rewarding career not just something you do in between yeah. university or between jobs or you know and, and and we'll give the industry that boost but as you say consumer pressure is going to come price-wise well not you know nine pound fifty an hour minimum wage now you know for the over 23s and that's that's huge you know compared to what it was you know 16 years ago when i got into it you know well above inflation year on year on year plus national insurance plus pension contributions you know all of these costs yeah no no longer can the industry cope with being you know a a, a cheap sort of sector it is unfortunately it is going to become more expensive to eat out it's unavoidable particularly if you want to care about you know where your animals or where your food comes from and stuff like that and then do you think that's going to drive you know we might as well move on to some other changes in the industry now and what we've seen haven't we over the last two years and it's continuing and you've mentioned Deliveroo but you've got the rise in all of the delivery services mm. uh, you've got the rise in the emergence of dark kitchens yep. you know so you know these delivery services not being kind of sourced from venues that we know and love but just from a kitchen on an industrial estate mm. you know how does that do you get that fear that people will stop going out and they will start using delivery services and there'll be a, a huge change in the whole catering hospitality sector mark yeah so, so on a human level you know i'm really excited that a younger version of me you know me 20 years ago could get really excited about a particular style of food or a particular product or artisan thing or a, a, a love of a niche that i wanted to do and and actually the barriers to entry to open a restaurant are huge so even just the street food movement i think has been exciting for people who can you know go and rent a container for for six months try something out and then you know if it works really well it leads to a restaurant and actually the dark kitchen opportunity you know to do that i, I you know I, I wouldn't want to get in the way of change i think it's really exciting I um, you know, I've got ideas of around you know just having areas on the beach, for example, that are set up for catering. But there's there's no kitchen there. You know, stuff mm. is just delivered on on bikes and scooters and motorbikes and stuff. But you know, you just create create this energy. So in the main, I'm excited. I do. I hope there'll be enough demand. You know, I went in a in a Michelin starred restaurant a couple of weeks ago, and it was a you know it was a whatever it was 12 course kind of tasting menu and it was and it was expensive and if I'm honest it's it's not you know really my style of mm. food but I really appreciate it I, I'm really grateful that there is a, an outlet for chefs who've got that much time and that bigger brigade and that much caliber to make that style of food is amazing and I'd only have it you know maybe maybe once every two or three years um but I appreciate it but um you know, you, you need you need different things for different people. So I hope there'll always be a number of people who want to go to a traditional restaurant, you know, get served by a human being, you know, sit around, somebody pours the wine for you and comes over and delivers the food and that's a thing. It, it, the, the difficulty will be if it, if it does become too expensive to offer that because of, you know, the cost of your business rates mm-hmm. and your insurance and all of these crazy costs that keep going up and somebody else can come along and open a dark kitchen on an industrial estate and, and deliver it. I, I would hate one to lead to the demise of other. As long mm-hmm. as they can all exist, 
then I'm excited. And actually, if a, if a dark kitchen or some some artisan pop up street food can mean that you know 150 um, Kentucky Fried Chickens or McDonald's can disappear out of existence, then that would, that would please me no end, Warren. Yeah. So let's you know just people support those little independent artisans, and, and maybe it's giving them an opportunity that before was being stolen by McDonald's. Yeah, maybe it's an opportunity to exist and to grow. Yeah. But that delivery thing, you've. I mean, again, you know, we talked about your constant desire in the past to innovate you mm. try to do the delivery right. thing yourself and yeah numerous times and decided actually it's too costly it doesn't work yeah. so are you now using some of these apps as a restaurant uh, i mean yeah. how do you how do you fit because that's what a lot of the independents have done isn't it they've yes. taken what they would normally deliver in the restaurant and one way to survive was actually mm. well we can't open and we'll pump that through sort of delivery and the, the networks but they've continued to do that now they're open. How have yeah. you found yourself on that journey? Yeah, so there's a lot that we're doing it. A lot of pubs, you know, that when they couldn't bring people in, you know, did it. I don't know many that have done it at a big scale and gone, look, I'm going to carry on with that. There's some that have added, you know, if you look at Hawksmoor and it's, it's you know, food boxes delivered to home or um, or Mitch Tonks at Rockfish, you know, some of those guys have added a additional product and that's flying, you know, it's doing really, mm. really well. But if you just look at your bulk standard pub that, you know, wants to sell you a pie and a fish and chips in your beer garden and then, then it started delivering it, well, it, you know, it's just trying to bring some sort of cash flow in and use some stock, you know, I don't think they are continuing to do it. And part of that is because by the time you take off the 30% that the delivery company charges plus the 20% that's going to the VAT man, you know, then there's just not enough margin no. in there to make it viable um, and part of it will be to do with the pressure on the kitchen and, and customer service and the time that people want the food is always on a Friday and Saturday night and that's when your kitchens are busy anyway so I think for it to really work if you were st- if I was starting now and opening a restaurant I would have a you know almost like a front door and a back door and I'd have a menu that was designed that there was a rear entrance because you don't want loads of you know scooter drivers and stuff no. coming in your front door walking through the tables you know grabbing food off the pass and just the carnage it causes but if you can design something where you've got a simpler menu food that's really designed to travel because in, in the early days of delivery it, it, its mission was to get restaurant quality food delivered to your home yeah. and we started with you know I don't know maybe a decade ago trying to get you know a lovely you know medium rare fillet steak with a char grilled tomato <laughs> and mushroom sounds, how's that ever going to be possible sounds bonkers now but that was their idea and we're like okay we'll try it you know but it didn't you know yeah. I remember the first night I moved into my house how, you know, having it delivered and going yeah you know if it's if it looks really good in a restaurant it's probably not designed to go on the back of a motorbike but even pizzas you know one of the reasons we started selling pizzas was for the delivery market but even those at urban reef is hard because as soon as you leave urban reef you've got to go up a hill but you put a pizza in a box on the back of a cyclist <laughs> ride up a hill it looks like it's been through a washing it's a machine very steep hill. Oh, it's, it is, yeah. so we're, we're doing it again now at, at the, the wood oven this is all my last sort of try with it we're doing it at the wood oven at urban garden in the town center because it's level because it's in the town because it's got lots of chimney pots around it because a two kilometer delivery radius has actually got loads of people um, and because it's a it's, it's a secondary kitchen it's yeah. not connected to my main kitchen so there's these sort of operational issues around it we're giving it another go but yeah I can't make it work at, at Reef you know like <laughs> it's feast or famine you know on a rainy February day it was brilliant you know at least you're sending out a bit of food and keeping the team busy but you can't just constantly switch it on and off yeah. and when it's busy and it's pumping down at Urban Reef just chucking in some home delivery food that also needs to go out the door is operationally too challenging so it suits certain markets doesn't suit other markets Perfect. I still struggle to work out how these companies are ever going to make a profit you know when we've done it ourselves we've bought our own scooters our own yeah. car we built our own software we tried to manage because we were like 30 percent surely we can deliver it for less than that and it turned out we can't no. so if we can't <laughs> deliver it i mean they're doing it at a scale 
but and, and maybe for people who want that gig economy just you know jump into a job on a friday and saturday yeah. night it works but but overall i really struggle you know i haven't bought any shares put it that way no okay and and talking about sort of you know the, the scale and the big and the, you know one of the things that you've been very, very vocal about in the past is private equity venture capital coming into the hospitality sector building chain upon chain upon new chain upon new chain and opening kind of venues that never looked viable but they were backed by PE and VC money and therefore they took market share and all of those kind of things but what we've seen haven't we during the pandemic is them start to suffer them start to close venues then perhaps start to show some of the true colors in terms of you know going into debt management programs and, and doing all of those kind of things so what do you think the future of hospitality is in that comparison between the large-scale PE, VC-backed kind of chains and the independence mark? Yeah, so I'd love to be super optimistic on that. I know Gordon Ramsay's got himself into trouble in the last few days by saying that COVID you know, got rid of a lot of crap restaurants, but he didn't word it in a particularly uh, nice fashion. Um, well, he wouldn't, would he? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I just found the whole VC thing fundamentally depressing in a sector that, that I believe should have an authenticity and a genuineness because you know there's there's too many things that can become bland and corporate and big but for me you know just that word hospitality you know it's it's something that we we do you know it's like when when somebody turns up at your house and you welcome them in and you hang up their coat and you 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 get them a glass of wine and you tell them to go and sit in the garden and you put on some music and you know it's a really personal thing mm-hmm. and when you try and turn that into a commodity it, it makes me want to cry you know because it just doesn't yeah. feel it's such a juxtaposition between what hospitality should be and what we turn it into which is you know the training that goes on behind the scenes whereas okay within the first 90 seconds of arrival you must seat them you must make eye contact you've then got 60 seconds to recommend two different side dishes and it must always be two different side dishes that are on the menu you've then got eight minutes to get the food to the table there's a centralized kitchen where all of that food has been produced you know it's uh, it's designed in little packets and it's cut open and it's just heated up and, it, and it's just turning it into this sort of ruthless efficiency and disappointingly sometimes the customers want that because they just want to get in and out and they want to yeah. they want to know what they've had but for me you know in the same way that I expect a pilot to know how to fly a plane you know I think anybody who works genuinely in a restaurant should know about food and where it comes from and how it's made and you know maybe the farmer that's that's that's, that's looked after the produce and you know I might live in this uh, naive uh, sort of you know utopian world <laughs> but I believe in in your passion in the same way that you when you're working with your clients in yeah. accountancy you don't just sort of you know hand them a leaflet that you've here's printed some numbers, yeah. Yeah, here's some here's some numbers and you know it's the same 50 numbers and the same template you've used before you actually sit with them and you try and understand their business and their journey and what's yeah, good to them yeah, and, what, and yeah. what's their you know what's their energy what's their reward what do they want from it and and, and and hospitality for me should be that so in many ways you know when covid started to knock out some of these massive players you know i was like okay and because i never understood the maths you know when i was looking at some of the levels of investment i think it was when tesco bought giraffe and it was like 1.5 million per restaurant or something that they paid and i, I found it incomprehensible the level of value or or the fact that pizza express has got you know 1.2 billion pounds worth of investment from a chinese company i just like well, what's this got to do with with, mm. with genuine hospitality <laughs> i don't get it so it depressed me um and i'd love to say that therefore off the back of this you know all the little independents are going to do really well the reality is that some of the better run and there are some good run 
you know, I say chains, but you know, if you look at Hawksmoor, they don't have that many venues, but you know, they're brilliant at what they yeah. do. I mentioned Rockfish, for example, and Mitch. You know, it generally comes where the owners, you know, Will Beckett and uh, and, and Mitch Tonks, and and you know, I could name various others. You know, probably the Honest Burgers guys and certain ones. And actually, I've sadly I've seen some that where people were also, you know, I'm thinking back to my podcast guests really, but yeah. you know, Griff Holland and, and various others that have. Failed, but a lot of the, the 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 sort of either the better ones or some of the big bat VCs have just seen it as an opportunity to suck up more venues and suck up yeah. more space because these places can't operate. So unfortunately, you know, the big players have got bigger. Um, maybe the little players are, are, are more terrified about going into a sector that's been through so much disruption. So there's not a clear cut answer to that yet to say, oh yes, definitely, yeah. this has been really good. Lots of good stuff is happening. It's still a bit of a mess. It's still a bit still of a washing machine. Space very much so. I mean, with with, with yeah, with VAT just going back yeah. up to twenty percent. Even even though there was a multi-party you know uh, parliamentary committee that advised that VAT should stay at twelve and a half percent for hospitality permanently, you know, yeah. let alone just for now, because it's been shown how you know the elasticity of uh, of how many people we employ and what we can spend on those staff. And 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 if you just look at the business rates, at least that's still going through a discounted period. But if you look, you know, we are a very heavily taxed sector. The amount of tax on beer and on spirits and uh, you know. National insurance, and if you add it all together, it's been proven that we're way more taxed than the retail sector. Okay. For example, we employ so many more people. If you go into a retail shop, you might have two people running an entire shop. Yeah. You go into a restaurant, there's quite possibly 17 people behind the scenes running that. So yeah, I think you know, I'm, I, I, it is going to be a period of turbulence. I think, but maybe in a couple of years, I'd, I would love to hope that that you know some of the rubbish will have gone. People have had their fingers burnt. Some really good properties will have become available for for good, yeah. authentic operators. And I would love us to to become more like you know Europe, where you do get those independent yeah, venues all over the place. Go into any major town, and they're all yeah. independents, aren't yeah. they? That are running and yeah. have been running and are yeah. successful. <laughs> so, as we wrap up our conversation, got a couple of questions to end with. Um, actually, one that's come to mind during the course of this conversation is if you could go back now yeah. to that, well, I'm going to say, 30 year old you or 28 year old you that started, you know, the Urban Guild, yeah. with, you know, the Urban Hotel, what lessons would you tell your young self? What two or three things would you say to that individual? <laughs> I suppose, um, you know, there's, there's definitely that listening and learning faster you know like I was saying before about the level of artisan food you know I'd, I'd like to go back and give some quick wins and just say look you can you know focus on the right things don't much as much as your obsession for artisan or quirky or interesting or non-compliance you know much as I respect that you know a good business with a good structure the more money you make in the business, the better you can invest in your people, the better you can invest in the in the infrastructure, in making it relevant, or the DJs or the music. And and so maybe I just need to reassess that that line and go, look, you know, compromise a little bit more, okay. sell what people want to buy, and that will free up some cash. Um, I think on a personal level, I think having having hit COVID and nearly lost everything, you know, having yeah. nearly lost the business, having nearly lost the house, having seen sort of 16, 17 years of my work and time and passion and energy almost disappear within, you know, within three months, almost go, look, 
wow, you're going to have to start again. All of that is gone. I'd probably give myself some finan- some sensible financial advice, which I think you've probably given me a number of times, Warren, <laughs> which was, you know, do do look at getting money out of the business. You know, I'd always ploughed every single penny back into the business. And I, and I look at that, you know, 40K a year SIP allowance and thought, God, if I'd used that for the last 16 years and put money away, you know, put my 40K or, or whatever, yeah. you know, more, more if I include my wife, if I put that away every year for the last 16 years, you'd be in a really good financial position. But I was pig-headed. I, I, I don't even know if I I just didn't think about it yeah. but I, every penny I got just got ploughed back into the business and I'm not saying that I wouldn't make the same decision if I went back but I'd like to have a conversation with kind myself kind of more informed kind yeah of just write down and just go yeah. look just crunch the numbers if you put another half a million pound into a restaurant or if you do this this is you know what comes out option A option B but that might just be that I'm you know now approaching yeah. 50 whereas I was 30 when I started and and yeah maybe that just that recognition of nearly losing everything you go okay yeah be a little bit sensible so god it's a boring grown up answer isn't yeah. it Warren it's a very yeah. <laughs> Very mature answer. Yeah. And then, so the final question has to be: you know, we've you'd have been asked on a previous episode what your definition of success is, but now for you now, from a personal perspective, how's your definition of success changed as a result of recent experiences? Yeah. So I think, and I, I said this when I went travelling all those years ago, is that when I tra- before I went travelling, I, I thought people were lovely. I thought most people on planet Earth are delicious yeah. nice people despite what you see on the news but I wanted to go from thinking to knowing and and so having gone traveling for a couple of years and met all these amazing different nationalities different people all these different experiences I came back and I was like oh, I was right you know people are lovely and I think in business I think I always thought the same I thought I don't think I want to own hundreds of restaurants I don't think I want a national brand I don't think I want to wake up every morning and work you know like some people do but I don't think I want to work 18 hours a day but I thought all of that and I think now having been on the adventure and the journey I've gone I sort of I know it even more you know we did structure ourselves for growth and we had a number of serious conversations around you know shall we open in Southampton or Swanage or Bristol or Bath or these other towns that I like shall we open and actually more and more and more I've just proved to myself that you know what what I love about hospitality is still the same. You know, I can I can walk along the seafront and I can see a couple of hundred people, you know, at, at, on the terrace outside Urban Reef and the sun glistening on the sea. And I can listen to the conversations of people who are genuinely having, you know, such a lovely time with their family or their friends. You know, the clinking of glasses, the music on at just the right level, you know, and, and, and people even talking about, oh, you know, we should we should buy a place down here. Or why don't we move out of London and move down to the coast? Because it's it's so great. And and I listen to that and I look at that and it's just reminded me that, yeah, that's that's where my buzz and my energy and excitement comes from definitely not about having more so I think the key thing is now I'd go look let's do less better rather than more worse okay and that's your would be your definition of success yeah yeah so yeah sorry I forgot almost forgot the question didn't I so yeah the definition of success for me yeah that therefore comes back to um you know waking up in the morning and doing what I want to do rather than what I have to do and I don't think it's changed but I think I always thought that was the case and now I know it I want to wake up in the morning whatever that might be whether it's going kite surfing walking the dog going to the restaurant and chatting to the customers or the team whatever it is I want to wake up each day and I want to I want to do that with enthusiasm and passion it's not about you know more cars more houses more things more restaurants more stress it's such a short period of time that we're on planet earth for and uh, yeah, just want to hang out, hang out with the kids and just, you know, my parents and just have a good time. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. As ever, such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you for being so open and honest as you always are, Mark. If people want to know 
more about you and importantly more about the Urban Guild and the venues you operate. Where can they go? Uh, so urbanguild.co.uk is the uh, is the parent website and I'm on social media. I don't use it a lot because I tend to use it for work but I'm at Mark Crib on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, stuff like that. You'll find me but you won't find me. Nowhere near as gobby as I used to be 10 years ago, Warren. <laughs> Much quieter. Is that another lesson learned? Probably is, isn't it? It's like, yeah, people don't want to hear from me anymore. I'm not that podcast. Thank you for being a great guest. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.